We've got major football stories swirling around. We've got Tua heading to the NFL. We are less than a week away from the College Football National Championship. We've got NFL hires and head coaching vacancies. And yet we're not going to talk about any of that today. I'll explain in a moment. This is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. I'm going to go where no one else in sports media is going right now. But I got a feeling that a lot of you wish they would. I know I do. Going to explain in a moment because uh, I'm going to hold off on some football talk. We've had a lot of that lately. I'm going to wait on that later in the week so it's not an echo chamber of my opinions We'll get some insight from our talented friends of the show that visit here frequently. Instead, today, I'm going to go somewhere different. It is, however, Northern Michigan Tuesday, so I've got Northern Michigan audio for you from today's press conference. That's coming up in the back half of our show. That's not different. What is different is we're going to spend the first half of today's show talking baseball. It is roughly 30 degrees outside. There is snow and ice all over the ground, but we're still going to talk about baseball. I'm going to give you my way-too-early picks for the six division winners and the four wildcard teams for 2020. Plus, I'll even, yeah, I might go through and rank each division, give you my predictions for the standings in each division. Why not? Let's do it. Let's start by talking a little baseball today because you've been peppered by football, maybe even a little basketball, by every other network, every other show you listen to. Let's give you a little bit of baseball to warm you up here in this early January afternoon. Let's start in the American League. The three division winners, I believe, this year will not change from last season. I believe the division winners will be the Yankees, the Astros, and the Twins. I do believe we're going to have two new wild card teams, though. Let's dive deeper into that. Let's go division by division, and let's start in the American League West. I do believe the Houston Astros are going to repeat. There's no Garrett Cole, which means there will not be another 107-win season. But the Astros are going to repeat as AL West champions. Because, yeah, they don't have Garrett Cole. They still have a rotation that features the reigning Cy Young winner, Justin Verlander. They've still got Peacock, McCullers, Grinky, just to name a few. And then you look at their offense. Show me a weak spot. There is none. The infield, Bregman, Correa, Altuve, Guriel. Those are four all-stars on the infield. You've got Michael Brantley, George Springer, Josh Reddick in the outfield. Martin Maldonado, an above-average catcher behind the plate. And then the reigning American League Rookie of the Year as your primary DH, Jordan Alvarez. That may not be a 107-win team like they were last year with Garrett Cole, but they are going to be more than enough to repeat as AL West champions. AL West runner-ups, however, I'm going with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, a revamped Angels team coming in this offseason. Not only do they land Joe Madden, but they land Anthony Rendon. And you know what? I believe the Angels are going to the playoffs this year as a wild card team in the American League. Mike Trout finally gets his wish. They're finally building around Mike Trout. Madden, the professor, as good as he's been, the new age baseball tactics, the analytics, he does it as well as anybody. Plus, you've got that Angels squad that 
always seems to be right around the 500 mark. You put in a bat like Rendon, he can help protect Trout, Albert Pujols, and those guys. Plus, you got a few other guys that started coming alive offensively last year. Tommy LaStella being one. Andrelton Simmons turned in to be one of the best shortstops last year. This is an Angel team that should make a run for a wild card spot, and I do believe that they make it. I think they hold off the Oakland Athletics because Oakland somehow always seems to make their way into the mix and be right there for a playoff spot. No matter what they've done or who they have on their roster, they always seem to be right there. I don't believe this will be enough for them to make a postseason push this year. For one thing, they didn't get a whole lot better this offseason. Free agents spending this offseason, they were among the lowest spenders. Just $7.5 million spent on free agents this offseason. They didn't do a whole lot to improve their roster. Granted, that reached the 95-win plateau last year, but they did not improve on that. Other teams have gotten better. In that division alone, I don't think it's going to be enough to finish in the top two spots. I think they just miss out on a playoff berth. Coming in fourth in that division, a team that did get better, that would be the Texas Rangers. They go out and they add Corey Kluber. They add a good depth guy as far as uh, middle of the rotation pitcher and Kyle Gibson yet I don't know that that's enough for the Rangers to finish in the top half of that division you know they might get a little above 500 they could be an 85 win team which says something about the AOS the AOS is going to be about as deep as any division in baseball this year but Texas I see as a slightly above 500 team because of how tough that division will be. And then rounding out the pack, the Seattle Mariners, who will vouch to lose 100 games this year. I don't believe Scott Service will make it to the end of the year. I do believe he'll be out as Mariners manager midway through the season. It's just falling apart for Seattle, and that division is going to be way too good this year. I see the Mariners as a potential 100-loss candidate. So that's how I see the American League West shaking out. Houston, followed by the Angels, both will be playoff teams, Oakland, Texas, and Seattle. Let's go to the AL Central, where I have the Minnesota Twins repeating. Now, let's be honest here. The Twins did not have a great offseason this year. They swung and missed on every big-name pitcher out there. Garrett Cole was out there. The Twins never really had a shot at him. Fine. Zach Wheeler was out there. Mad Bum was out there. Hinjin Rue was out there. Instead, the Twins settle for Rich Hill and Homer Bailey. They also lose C.J. Crone, who had a career year last year, and Jonathan Scope, who had a career year last year. They lose Jason Castro, one of the better defensive catchers in baseball. Now, I get two of those moves, Scope and Castro, because you had guys that they were splitting playing time with who just had all-star caliber seasons last year who were just that good i get that the cj crone move tells me that the twins were absolutely certain they were getting josh donaldson and they were going to move miguel sano to first base so despite the twins having a lackluster offseason you look at what they do have coming back and show me their weakness because the twins while they failed to make the jump from a good team to an elite team this offseason, are not weak anywhere. They have an outfield that consists of Byron Buxton, Eddie Rosario, and Max Kepler, three guys who were excellent, both offensively and defensively. 
whatever happens with Josh Donaldson, you've still got Miguel Sano. You've still got Marwin Gonzalez that can play corner infield spots. Gonzalez just might have to play on an everyday basis. You've got Jorge Polanco, who was an all-star last year. You've got Luisa Rise, who's one of the better contact hitters in baseball. You have Mitch Garver, who had a breakout season at the plate last year. And then you have Nelson Cruz, the reigning DH of the decade. Plus, you have a pitching staff that... They didn't get a whole lot better this offseason, but I don't know that they got a whole lot worse either. It's spearheaded by Barrios and Oda Rizzi. Plus, you throw in experienced guys like Rich Hill and Homer Bailey. Most of the bullpen is coming back, especially on the back end with Taylor Rogers. The Twins may not win 101 games this year. They may not set the home run record again this year, but they have more than enough on that roster to win the American League Central for a second straight year. They did not make the jump from a good team to an elite team this offseason, so they're not going to contend for a World Series, at least not without a move or two made prior to the deadline, but they have more than enough to win the division right now. They will hold off the revamped Chicago White Sox. What an offseason for Chicago. And the White Sox are officially one of those teams whose rebuild is complete. They've got a good core group. That's centered around Aloy Jimenez, one of the breakout rookies from last season, and Lucas Giolito, one of the breakout starting pitchers last year. Now they add Dallas Keuchel. They've got Gio Gonzalez, guys like Dylan Cease, and they're waiting to see if Michael Kopech can take that next step forward coming off injury. They were really high on him as a prospect. They go out and they get Yasmani Grandal, major offensive upgrade at the catcher spot. And they've got a good infield. Tim Anderson had a breakout year last year. They've got Yohan Mankata, Jose Abreu. They're obviously going to do their thing. The outfield, Adam Engel's consistent. You throw in Jimenez. They add Nolan Mazzara. They do have a few more weak spots in their lineup, like Lurie Garcia, a natural outfielder playing second base. Some guy named Collins is their everyday DH. And there are a few weak spots with this White Sox team, but they went out and they spent money the right way this offseason. I don't believe they're ready to make the playoffs this year, but they were the fourth highest spending team in baseball this year, this offseason, I should say, at $195.5 million. The only teams who spent more this offseason were the Yankees, Nationals, and Angels. To me, the White Sox are set to at least hit the 85-win threshold, but I'm not sure that's good enough to make the playoffs. I don't want to be somebody who looks at them the way that NFL analysts looked at the Cleveland Browns this year. Oh, they're revamped. They are ready to come out of the cellar and they're ready to make a deep run of the postseason. I'm not ready to fall in love with the White Sox like that. Because to me, there are still too many holes in the lineup. Yeah, the future looks promising, and they spent money beautifully. I mean, they have retooled and gone through this rebuild the right way. I don't think it's going to translate to a playoff berth this year, but good days are coming in the south side. Third in that division, I'm going with Cleveland. I'm not ready to say it's a rebuild in Cleveland. Neither is the front office there, but it's not far away. They've already dealt Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber. It may not be long before they deal Francisco Lindor. I don't think he'll last until August in a Cleveland uniform. I think he's traded at the deadline because Cleveland will not be contending. They need more from guys like Jose Ramirez. They had lackluster offensive seasons from several other high-caliber guys last year. That can't happen again for Cleveland if they want to be successful. Regardless, this is a team that is trying to fill voids left by Bauer and Kluber with pitchers like Aaron Savale and Zach Plezak. 
I mean, they're good young arms, but they're no Kluber and they're no Bauer. And that's why Cleveland, while they're not ready to admit the rebuild is starting, I see as being a 500 team this year. Fourth and fifth in that division, it's pretty interchangeable. Do you want to go the Tigers? Do you want to go the Royals? You know, the Royals had a breakout offensive year from Jorge Soler. I don't know that they really got better this offseason. The Tigers did add a few pieces I thought that made them better this offseason when they go out and get C.J. Crone and Jonathan Scope. I mentioned they had career years for Minnesota last year. You know, the Tigers are still going to vouch for 100 losses this year. But I think I like them ahead of the Royals because they did go out and they made themselves better this offseason. The Royals were among one of the lowest spenders in free agency this year at just $3.6 million. So that's what I have for the American League Central. The Twins repeat, followed by the White Sox, the Indians, the Tigers, and the Royals. Real quick, let's go to the AL East before we come up on a break. Nobody's catching the Yankees. I mean, you take a team that, what they win last year? 104 games, 103, something like that. And now you add 20-game winner Garrett Cole. And you take into account the fact that the Yankees used 155 different lineup combinations last year in a 162-game season. 155 of 162 games, they had a different lineup because nobody could stay healthy in that starting nine. And they still got over the 100-win plateau. Now, you throw in Garrett Cole, and you wonder if half those guys stay healthy from last year. If half those injuries don't happen, why shouldn't this Yankee team win 110 games this year? The Yankees are going to lead baseball in wins. They will be the odds-on favorite to win the World Series because you throw in Garrett Cole, and you assume that they won't have the freak injury scenario they had last year. The Yankees should win 110 games, and they will absolutely run away with the AL East. My second wild card team is coming out of the East, but I'm not sure who it is yet. Because here's the thing. I don't want to go out on a limb way too far, but I can see the Red Sox and the Rays going to a one-game playoff to decide second place in the East and then deciding who gets that extra wild card spot. Because the Red Sox roster is just loaded. They underachieved. For last year. I do believe it'll be a bounce back year, provided Mookie Betts stays. I want them to get that distraction taken care of, figure out what they're doing with Mookie, because their pitching rotation, Chris Sale, David Price, Nathan Avaldi, I mean, they don't really have a weakness there, all the way down to Martin Perez as their number five starter. Their infield, solid as usual. There is no weakness with that Red Sox team, but then you have the Rays, who have got They're kind of spotty throughout their lineup. They've got Brandon Lau. They've got Hunter Renfro. They're hoping is going to translate well. They traded Tommy Pham to get him. You've got Kevin Kiermeyer, one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball. You've got guys like Austin Meadows on that squad. And the Rays should be a team that should be competitive. That roster tells me probably... 80-something wins, but they always go above what they're supposed to do. They always over-exceed expectations, despite having one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. You can never count the Rays out in that sense. And I do believe the Rays, despite spending only $12 million this offseason in free agency, will be right there again to contend for 90-something wins and contend for a playoff spot, especially because of their starting pitching. 
you know, they are a team that uses the analytics as well as anybody. Give Kevin Cash a ton of credit for the job he does with that team. Blake Snell, he's got to bounce back after a down year last year. I really believe that Tyler Glasnow is set to have a breakout year. He might be the best pitcher on that Rays staff this year. Mark it down. Tyler Glasnow, barring injury, should be the Rays' best pitcher this year. You factor in guys like Brandon McKay, who made waves as somewhat of a two-way player last year. They will overexceed the talent on their roster. They will challenge Boston for that number two spot in the AL East. Right now, I'm attentively say it's Boston because Tampa has to stay healthy. And a lot of those players, at least half the roster and half the pitching staff, have to play to their potential to compete with Boston. Fourth in the East, I'm going with Toronto. They didn't get a whole lot better this offseason. They did get Hinjin Rue. They had to pay a lot of money for really one breakout player. They have spent $108 million this offseason, and I don't know that they got a whole lot better. They did get Hinjin Rue. Granted, that's one guy in a division where right now you've got three teams clearly with better rosters than yours as a whole. I don't know that I like the lack of efficiency with the Blue Jays and their offseason spending this year. And then Baltimore, they're primed for another 100-loss season. They're going to bring up the rear in the AL East. I mean, yeah, they signed Jose Iglesias yesterday. Tiger fans remember him. He's fun to watch. I'm not sure how much fun he's going to have at Camden Yards this year. So that is what I predict for the AL East. Yankees win it, followed by the Red Sox tentatively getting that second wildcard spot, the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Orioles. Those are my predictions for the American League. Way too early this year. Again, we're talking baseball. 30-degree temps and snow and ice on the ground here in Upper Michigan. I tell you what, only a couple weeks until pitchers and catchers report for spring training. Baseball will be here before you know it. Let's take our first time out. We'll talk National League baseball and predictions after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. No, we're not talking Mike Nolan. We're not talking Matt Rule. We're not talking Mike McCarthy. At least not today. We'll wait a little bit in the week for that because you're being hammered with that by pretty much every other show you listen to. We are talking baseball today here before we turn our attention to Northern Michigan and we engage in Northern Michigan Tuesdays here in the back end of our show. Before the break, I gave you my predictions for each American League division and how those uh, standings would shake out this year and who the five playoff teams would be. If you missed it, go check it out in our Sports Pen Podcast on demand at our website, ESPNUP.com, or get our free mobile app. Let's turn our attention to the National League, where, just like the American League, I believe that all three teams who won their divisions last year will do so again. The Dodgers, Cardinals, and Braves are the teams I have tapped to win their respective divisions this year. But, like the American League, the two wildcard teams are different. So what does that mean? That means there will be a new World Series champion this year. Let's go division by division, break them down. Let's start out west, where the Dodgers are going to repeat. I know they lost Hinjin Ryu. I know how last season ended. They've still got the reigning NL MVP, and they still got Mr. Regular Season Clayton Kershaw. Their roster is just too good. It really is. There's nobody that's going to catch them in that division. They may not get to as many wins as they did last year. They'll probably still get 100 wins, 
I don't know if they'll have as good of a regular season as last year, if they'll be as prolific, but they won't be too far off, if anything. The Dodgers should win the NL West without much of an issue. Second that division, I debated. This was a tough one for me, but I think I'm going to slightly favor the Arizona Diamondbacks to edge out the San Diego Padres. Arizona was a big spender this offseason, $103.6 million. Granted, a lot of that went to Madison Bumgarner, who is a great piece. He really is, and he's going to help this team that was right around the 500 mark last year, and they've got a pretty good core group from that team back. Plus, you look at the rest of the pitching staff, Robbie Ray, Mike Leake, they'll be fine. They'll do well enough to compete in the NL West and finish above 500. They have pretty good position players, Nick Ahmed, Eduardo Escobar, Kettle Marte. They will do fine in the NL West. I don't think they're going to contend with the Dodgers, but I do believe they're going to edge out the Padres by maybe a game. The Padres continue to get better. They'll have Fernando Tatis, another year older. They'll still have Manny Machado. They've still got Eric Hosmer, although he may not be what he once was. He's still pretty good. You've got a pitching staff that has got Chris Paddock on it. You've got Garrett Richard, which if he stays healthy, he'll be a great number three behind Zach Davies. They just re-signed Stamen. They will have a good team coming back, make no mistake. Plus, they get Tommy Pham. They deal Hunter Renfro to Tampa Bay to get Tommy Pham. That's a great move. It really is. I don't think it's enough to compete for that division. And maybe they can get by Arizona for the number two spot in the NL West. But right now, I still give the Diamondbacks the slight edge with their pitching staff. Coming in fourth in that division, a team that spent absolutely nothing. There are three teams who spent nothing this offseason on free agents, did not get better. And one of them is the Colorado Rockies. And right now they're dealing with that Nolan Arenado trade clause. Or I should say the no trade clause that he has in place. Here's the thing. I'm not saying this is going to be a prediction yet, but keep an eye on this because it is very plausible it could happen. Now bear with me on this. The Nolan Arenado trade clause is going to become a big enough distraction while the team is looking to rebuild. They might go ahead and trade Trevor Story. And think about that. Just keep an eye on that. If Arenado isn't going to budge and he's going to be a distraction to this team, they may just say, let's go ahead and move on. Let's see what we can get back for Trevor Story. If Arenado's not going to be compliant, maybe we trade our all-pro caliber shortstop. You look at that pitching staff, and I just don't trust it. Kyle Freeland was fourth in the Cy Young voting a couple of years ago. Spent much of last year in AAA. Just had an awful year. John Gray, I just don't really trust that Rockies team. To me, they're going to come in fourth. They're going to be sellers at the trade deadline. And then you've got San Francisco rounding out that division. They'll be under first-year manager Gabe Kapler. I mean, they're not built to win this year. They they may not lose 100 games. Depends how much uh, sellers they want to be. The rebuild will be fully on. They've got guys like Jeff Samarja, who I do think is going to get traded at the deadline. He'll be wearing a different uniform after July 31st. He'll probably pitch well enough the first half of the year to get traded. But this is the first step in a rebuild year for San Francisco. So those are my picks for the NL West. I'm going with the Dodgers winning that division, followed by Arizona tentatively ahead of San Diego, although I don't know that either makes a playoffs this year, followed by Colorado and San Francisco. Let's go to the NL Central, where I have the St. Louis Cardinals repeating. Now, the Cardinals are a team that didn't do a whole lot this offseason. They only spent $13 million. They have a good pitching staff coming back that should be their anchor. They have a lot of guys that 
are stalwarts there. They're not household names, but they do their job. They do just enough. Same with their offense. You know, this Cardinal team, to me, is not built to contend for a World Series. They didn't do enough this offseason to upgrade their team, but they do just enough that I do think they're going to win that division. They're going to get back to the postseason. We'll see what happens there. They've got the pitching staff anchored by guys like Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, the stalwarts there, Yadier Molina, Harrison Bader, Paul DeYoung, uh, Colton Wong, guys on the offensive end like that. They'll be fine. They'll be just fine in the NL Central. The sexy pick in the NL Central, the team that I'm not ready to say is going to win the division, but I do think is going to end their playoff drought this year, is the Cincinnati Reds. Really, the only team that you could say has had a better offseason than the Reds would be the Yankees and maybe the White Sox, too. But the Reds spent $100 million in free agency this offseason, and looking at their lineup, they're going to be scary. They got Trevor Bauer midway through last year. You couple him with guys like Sonny Gray, Anthony DeSclafani, Wade Miley. They should be better pitching-wise this year. They should be better, but I think the strength of this team is going to be their offense. They've got Eugenio Suarez, who had an excellent year at the plate last year. They pick up Freddie Galvis from Toronto. They pick up Mike Moustakis from Milwaukee. They still have Joey Votto over at first base. Hopefully Nick Senzel is able to bounce back. He likely won't be ready for opening day, but you assume that he's going to bounce back. Aristides Aquino, man, when they brought him up in the later months, he only was up there for like two months last year, but when he was up, he was looking like he should have been there for years or that he had been at the major league level for years. I mean, he looked good. A full season of this kid, and Cincinnati can absolutely be a team to watch and a team that should contend for the playoffs. And I do think they make it. I think they will contend for the division. I think St. Louis will distance themselves in the final week and clinch that division. But I do think the Reds have a good enough lineup that they're going to make the postseason this year and end that drought. I like the roster they put together out there. I think David Bell's an underrated manager. I think Cincinnati will make the postseason this year as a wild card. Number three in the NL Central, I'm going with the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers are a team that didn't spend a lot. And they didn't spend a little. They're right around the middle of the pack as far as spending this offseason goes, at least on free agents. But they're a team that is not going to bring back, on opening day at least, as talented of a team as they had last year. Christian Yelich leads that team in terms of war, wins above replacement. He is their most important position player, no surprise. Their next two most important players in terms of war from last season aren't coming back. Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis. Now they are replacing them with guys like Omar Narvaez and Eric Sogard. Those guys are fine, but that's all they are, is fine. They are not going to replace the productivity that Grandal or Moustakis were able to provide. Plus, they lose out on Eric Thames, an excellent role player, a guy that they didn't even need on the postseason roster a couple of years ago. They were that deep, and they lose him to Washington yesterday. Plus, this pitching staff outside of Woodruff does not scream consistency. This pitching staff, or even the bullpen below Josh Hader, does not make me think you're going to be consistent for me. There's just not a lot there that makes me feel safe if I'm a Brewer fan outside of Brandon Woodruff and Josh Hader as a pitching staff. Now, they're going to be a good team. I mean, they'll win probably anywhere from 82 to 85 games. I think they'll be over 500. 
but I don't think they're going to contend for the postseason this year unless they make a move at the deadline. But the team that they're going to put out on opening day is not good enough to be a playoff team. That's where the front office has to come in and turn the Brewers into contenders. The good news for Brewer fans is you have a good front office, and they have been known to put the Brewers in a position to contend and expect them to do so, make some moves around the trade deadline as long as Milwaukee's hanging around. Fourth and fifth in that division are the two other teams. I mentioned the Rockies were one of the three teams that spent nothing this offseason in terms of free agency. Well, the Cubs and Pirates are the other two. The Cubs I have coming in fourth in the Central, the Pirates fifth. The Cubs, for whatever reason, are just hell-bent on freeing up payroll. Whether that means getting rid of Javi Baez, of Chris Bryant, who I'm not even sure is going to end the year in a Cubs uniform. Chris Bryant, a legit MVP candidate, may not end the year in a Cubs uniform this year. I don't know why the Cubs are doing this all of a sudden. You know, they have been in a position to contend for World Series for the last couple of years. Maybe not last year, but at least the playoffs last year. And now they're almost forcing themselves into a rebuild when I just don't see it as necessary. I mean, they're thinking, they're listening to offers for Wilson Contreras. He was maybe their offensive MVP last year. I just don't get why the Cubs are forcing themselves into a rebuild to save payroll the first year that David Ross is there as manager. I mean, they are pretty much expecting a title from him within three years. How's he supposed to do that if you're putting Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, and Javi Baez, among others, in the trade block? I mean, I know that a lot of fans up here probably aren't sad to hear that. But to me, the Cubs just don't seem to want to put themselves in a position to win this year. They're not going to finish in the top half of that division. And then the Pirates will be a team that will do something they traditionally don't do this year, and that is lose 100 games. Among all the bad seasons the Pirates have gone through, they've never really been a team that will reach the 100-game loss plateau. I think this year that changes. They have a first-year manager with Derek Shelton who is just coming into a really bad position where a team didn't get better this offseason. I get, you know, they're going through the rebuild. I think that he's got a much longer leash. Shelton does in Pittsburgh than Ross does in Chicago. So maybe the future's brighter in Pittsburgh than it is on the north side. But the Pirates, to me, this is going to be a long year full of growing pains. So that's what I see in the NL Central. I've got St. Louis and Cincinnati, the top two, both going to the playoffs, followed by Milwaukee, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. Let's go to the NL East, where I have the Braves repeating. I know how last year ended with just an absolute thud, but they did spend $99.8 million this year in free agency, and they have a likely Cy Young candidate, likely finalist, I should say, maybe the winner on their pitching staff with Mike Soroka. They've got a really good pitching staff, and to me, that coupled with the offense they do bring back is going to be enough to put them over the New York Mets and win that division. Now, the Mets are the other team that I think is going to make the playoffs as a wild card out of the National League because the Mets, with first-year manager Carlos Beltran, we already know is going to be a player's manager. I'm excited to see, and I was really happy to see that hire. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table in New York. But you look at that pitching staff, they might have the best pitching staff in all of baseball, one through five. Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, Rick Porcello, Steven Matz, even Michael Waka. And they might have the best pitching staff, one to five, maybe even one to six, in all of baseball this year. Their offense, I think, is going to be spotty, but I think they're going to be right there with Atlanta. 
and contend for the NL East. I do see them getting in as a wild card, though. But you look at their offense. I mean, they, they've got the talent there to be consistent throughout the year. Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, of course, Wilson Ramos, Robinson Cano, Ahmed Rosario. I mean, they have got a really good group offensively. And that pitching staff, again, that's going to be their biggest strength. Will everybody be able to stay healthy is the thing. That's my biggest concern with New York. I do think they're a playoff team, but I'm not ready to say that they surpass Atlanta, who I just think has an overall more talented roster factoring pitching and offense. Third in that division, despite being high spenders this offseason, I don't think the Washington Nationals, the defending champions, make the playoffs this year. They spent $314.8 million. The only team who spent more, the Yankees, at $336.5 million. They do all that, and yet I don't think it translates to the postseason. Their pitching staff is still going to be excellent. That's what carried them through the playoffs last year. But how do you replace Anthony Rendon? I get they're still in the running for Josh Donaldson, but as good as Josh Donaldson is, the bringer of rain is still not Anthony Rendon. He is not going to protect Juan Soto in the lineup like Anthony Rendon did. And I get they loaded up on some pretty good players, guys like Starlin Castro, Eric Thames here in the last couple of days. But I just don't see Washington being able to compete with their divisional rivals this year. Teams like Atlanta and New York. I'm not even certain that they can hold off Philadelphia, who I have coming in fourth under first-year manager Joe Girardi. And the Nationals got their title. They're not acting this offseason like a team that is going to be content with that. They act like they want to be a team that's going to reload and get back there. And yet, I don't think they did enough. For the money that they spent, they didn't do enough to replace the productivity of Anthony Rendon and give themselves a shot at getting back to the World Series. That NL East is going to be as deep as the AL West or any other division in baseball. But I still see the Phillies failing to get in the top half of that division. And then I'll have the Marlins slightly improving. Here, here's a name to watch. Brian Anderson plays third base, outfield for them. Watch for Brian Anderson this year. Could be a breakout year for him. Probably won't be a breakout year for many of the Marlins players. That's what I see in the NL East with Atlanta and New York finishing in the top two spots. They will make the postseason, followed by Washington, Philadelphia. All those teams are going to be north of 80 wins, by the way. I really believe that. Four teams from the NL East will have 80 wins or more. And then Miami rounds out the pack. Talking a little baseball here in the dead of winter on ESPN-UP. Again, if you missed my predictions for the Major League Baseball 2020 season way too early, check them out on demand with our podcast. With that, let's take a timeout. When we come back, let's turn our attention to 1401 Presque Isle. It's Northern Michigan Tuesdays here on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. You are experiencing The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Welcome back, Tana Maniacs. Here's your Sports Center update. 
The Carolina Panthers have hired Baylor head coach Matt Rule to be their next head coach. Meanwhile, the New York Giants agreed to terms with Patriot special teams coordinator and wide receiver coach Joe Judge. The Giants may not be done, though, as they're set to interview former Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett for the team's vacant offensive coordinator position. Speaking to the Cowboys, new head coach Mike McCarthy has hired Mike Nolan to be the team's defensive coordinator. McCarthy says he's interested in retaining offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. Moore is also up for the vacant offensive coordinator position at the University of Washington. The Nashville Predators have fired Peter Laviolette and hired John Hines as their new head coach. Hines was fired by New Jersey earlier this season. And finally, Mr. Potato Head was the first toy ever advertised on television. Mr. Potato Head first appeared in commercial form on April 30th, 1952, one day before what Hasbro has designated his official birthday. That is your Sports Center update. Glad to have you along. I've got some Northern Michigan sound for you, that of Grant Patoni and Matt Mackerzak. Before we get into that, though, a few things I still want to bring up to you because we spent a lot of time with baseball, and there's a lot happening in baseball. But the XFL released their official set of rules here about four hours ago. They're only about a month away from kicking off. Like They start the week after the Super Bowl, so there's no break from football. And if you haven't seen the new XFL rules... I don't know. I know there are going to be some people who don't like it. Like, there are going to be some football purists, but the NFL's not doing these, so I'm perfectly okay with seeing these wacky rules in this kind of experimental league. You know, first of all, the transparency with the officials and the replay system, we all liked that in the AEF, as short-lived as it was, but... Some of the rules that they're doing for the XFL this year, I mean, have you seen these? You can throw two forward passes in one play as long as the first pass doesn't cross the line of scrimmage. So it it doesn't have to be a bubble screen. Like, you can drop back 15 yards, throw it 14 yards just shy of the line of scrimmage, and then that guy can throw it forward as long as he wants. Or the extra point. See, you don't have the option to kick an extra point you can either go for a one-point play from the two-yard line, a two-point play from the three-yard line, or a three-point play from the ten-yard line. So you could be getting nine points of possession, a six-point touchdown, and a three-point conversion, essentially. They're doing stuff to limit touchbacks on kickoffs. You only need to get one foot in bounds to have possession. All these wacky rules, and I'm just I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by it. You know, I'm excited for it. I'm probably going to watch the XFL. I don't know how much I like it, but I'm absolutely going to watch it because I want to see how these rules play out. Oh, how about their overtime rules? They're doing a shootout, like a style of overtime. They're doing a shootout. So everybody, get each team, I should say, gets five downs from the 10-yard line. And whoever gets into the end zone the most of those five tries is the winner. It's a shootout. But with football, you get one play, from the 10-yard line, and it's a shootout to decide overtime. I'm just so intrigued by it. I can't wait to see it. Let's get to this Northern Michigan audio, though, for you. Let's start on the hockey side with head coach Grant Patoni, his team coming off a great weekend, sweeping number 11 Bowling Green. Successful trip. Winning a game in an environment like that is tough enough, but to win both of them. um, The Saturday night game was two very hungry teams, uh, competing very hard and I, I thought the difference in the game was Nolan really really played well and um, our five on five play was outstanding we had obviously we had penalty issues um, that that need to get figured out but 
you know, to, to go down and, and sweep somebody on the road is tough, but to do it there is, it was a really good weekend. Yesterday, Nolan Kent was named WCHA Goalie of the Week. Coach gave his thoughts on his goaltender. Well-deserved, yep. He's, um, he's played well. You go back to even in some of the games in relief, he's played well. Um, you know, now that he's got to continue to stay consistent. And um, each weekend presents different challenges. Um, each game does. And, and to be honest, on Friday, I thought he was good. Uh, I didn't think we gave up a lot. There's a lot of shots. I don't know how accurate that was, but there wasn't a lot of scoring chances. Um, Saturday, that was not the case. He had to be really dialed in. Um, they made some adjustments on their power play, caught us uh, before we could adjust you know, to what they were doing, and uh, he made some really big saves. So um, happy for him. You know, he's, he's had a, a season that, you know, is, he's had some downs, and to have some ups now is, is um, I'm happy for him in three in a row is, against three quality opponents is really good. Coach has kind of been rotating goalies, doing the balancing act this year. After this weekend's performance, is there a clear number one? Has Nolan Kent earned the starting job? As of today, um, he's taken that position. And, you know, the the thing for, for both goalies is, um, and, and especially John being a freshman, you just have to remember he's a freshman. And, and I mentioned that to him after the Mankato series, that um, if you look at Griff, he sees what Griff's doing now, and he didn't see Griff scoring six goals as a freshman, you know, and, and that's just, that's college hockey. It's it's a hard game. Uh, for him to be able to mentally kind of reset, uh, it's probably good for him. You heard Coach talk about it yesterday on the show. Penalties were a big issue for his squad. Coach addressed that. And we were we talked about it yesterday, you know, and um, we're adjusting it, you know, and there's one way that I know how to adjust it, and we're doing that, and... Um, you know, it's one thing if you're denying a scoring chance. Um, if it's a penalty for checking too hard, you know, you, you always seem to kill those. But the ones that get you are the ones we're taking. You know, from behinds, trippings, hookings, cross-checkings, too many men. Um, you know, we have a player jumping on the rink when he's not even up. He just jumps. And, you know, those are the ones that end up getting you, and we, we have to adjust that. We can't. We can't expect to continue to have six one night and eight the next and, and, um, and continue to keep winning. It's just it's not how it works. Coach talked about how big it was setting the tone for the second half of the year with a sweep over a ranked squad. I think it, it just continues the momentum they built at the end of the first half. Um, you know, playing quality teams makes you better. Uh, beating quality teams builds your confidence. And, you know, you, you get kind of the best of both worlds in that weekend and um, you know, Saturday was a really tough game. And, you know, I, I, you guys have heard me after a Friday night game how, you know, there's times I'm upset with our effort or different things, and we come out on Saturday and we adjust it. Their coach was the same, in the same situation I was. And, you know, his comments were right to that point. So, you know, they had, you know, was talking about we're going to find the guys who are going to play hard. And, you know, that is real talk from a coach. And, um so even though we knew it was coming, to match that, you know, on a team that had, you know, that was to give them their fourth loss in a row um, was just, was outstanding the way, and then you fall behind and you keep staying with it and, um, you know, coming out the other side. So um, the guys should feel good about it. I know they were tired yesterday. Uh, we got to get back at it today, and we got to have some energy and some excitement and a little nasty in practice to get us going again. So now Anchorage comes to town this weekend, a dangerous team, a team that Northern hasn't seen yet this year. 
you know, our sport's different than every other sport. And, you know, I don't think you would see uh, the number one team in, in basketball or football play the last place team in the country and have it come down to the last four or five minutes of the game. And you look no further than North Dakota playing Alabama Huntsville in Grand Forks. And it came down to the last three minutes of the game. You know, it was tie game, one goal game. And that's our sport. So, you know, there's no easy nights. There's no nights off. Um, and every point is just as valuable as, as the next one. So, um, you know, we have to play great on Friday. We have to have another great effort. Uh, we're a 500 team on Friday. And Saturday we're 7-3. and three. So we have to continue to adjust our Friday so that we can put ourselves in chances to have, to have big weekends. Coach addressed where his special teams are at this point in the season. I thought they both took a step back a little bit this weekend. Um, the penalty kill has been really good as of late. Um, you know, it was challenging this week, and I shouldn't even say that because, you know, they score a uh, two five-on-three goals, a four-on-three goal. Um, so five-on-four, we've been good. Uh, I'm disappointed in the power play, and, and, I, and they know that, and I've told them that. Um, you know, I, I don't care what the percentage is. It, that means nothing to me. Um, what matters is when you need a goal and or even just momentum, that the pop has got to do its job. So, you know, we it's been 10 games now since we've scored two power play goals in the same night. Um, we've scored goals, but we haven't looked good doing it. So, um, you know, it, we, got, we have to be better in that aspect and we have to be better in the four and four play. You know, that, that's probably as much anything as, and it, I don't understand, you would think we'd be a good four-on-four four team because of the way we're built, but, um, you know, we've got to be better in those areas, 100%. A couple of transfers were eligible to get into the lineup here after Christmas. We saw them for the first time this weekend. Coach gave us his thoughts. Both are different. Um, you know, AJ, um, he, he has a lot of similarities to Robbie Payne. Really smart offensive player, great stick. Um, you guys remember me talking about Robbie's bubble a little bit. Anytime the puck would come in his bubble, Robbie seemed to come out with it. And AJ's got that same type of ability. Um, you know, more of a guy who can kind of, you know, read the play and find open ice. And when he gets it, he can really execute. And, and um, you know, jumped on the score sheet this weekend and had a, had a nice weekend. Um, Brandon is a uh, fast, energy, um, offensive guy that you know can play in any 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 situation he can play four on four he can play penalty kill and he can play power play um i have to get him more ice you know i didn't get him out as much um as i would have hoped this weekend just for um whatever reasons but both of those guys complement their lines well um you know brandon had a breakaway one night um and a partial breakaway in overtime the next night um so you know he's He's kind of right there, um, you know, and he's a guy who, who plays on instinct and um, just they add so much depth to our team. And, you know, you can come out of power plays now with a dangerous line. You can come out of a penalty kill with some dangerous players and um, it makes a big difference with the rhythm of your team. Coach addressed as to whether the time off for Christmas break helped or hurt the guys. Was there a little rust or were the guys pretty well good to go? For them, probably more than anybody else, you know, because they haven't played in a year. Um, I expect there's, there, you know, last weekend was their first weekend, so they were really excited. Um, challenge this weekend will be to, okay, now you're in the rhythm of it. You know, now there's not all that buildup you've had for a year leading up to that game. Now it's a challenge to do it over and over and over again and, and continue to catch up because, you know, not playing in a year, you're going to be behind a little bit. and um, We need them to get 
to speed as quick as I can. Coach gave us an inside look at where the program is heading into this weekend series. Good. Um, you know, we're, we're almost healthy. Um, we're close. Uh, we're getting good goaltending. Um, you know, we scored eight goals. You know, we scored nine on the weekend, but eight of them, uh, one was an empty net, eight of them um, against a program that not many teams get to two against them each night. And we, and we, uh, we got to four both nights. So that, that side of it's good. Um, defensively, um, giving up very, very little five on five. Um, so all those things kind of check out to, to putting yourself in a good spot. And, um, you know, and we, we've kind of, the last couple of years, we've been in striking distance the second half and, uh, we've been able to close some ground. So, uh, it was a good start, but you know, and now move on to the next weekend. Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni, his team coming off a weekend sweep over Bowling Green. They move into the top 20 at number 19 in this week's college hockey poll. Let's take our last break. When we come back, I've got Matt Mackerzak sound. Hear how Northern Michigan men's basketball is doing as they head into week two of 2020. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN. PNUP app. Today's show, as always, is available on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple I Store, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as we wind down this Tuesday afternoon. You guys seeing this whole thing with the Red Sox? What's going on? How the Red Sox allegedly were stealing signs just like the Astros were? You know what's the common denominator in both of those instances? The Red Sox in 2018, managed by Alex Cora who was the Houston Astros bench coach in 2017, Alex Cora. Let's go, Major League Baseball. There's your man. There's your man. I mean, if, if Pete Rose is being kept out of the Hall of Fame, how about Alex Cora be kept out of baseball for like five years, something like that? I don't know. I do want to dive into that deeper throughout the week. We're running short on time today, though, and I got this Matt Mackerzak sound I want to play for you. His team coming off a week in which they won a couple of GLIAC games. Coach talked about the mood among his squad. Anytime you get two wins, you got to try to enjoy it within reason. And um, I think one thing that we talked about is our season's kind of been defined by peaks and valleys. We had the opening weekend where we get swept, and we feel pretty down and then we go be tech and now we're high again and then um right before christmas you lose two games including against a division three opponent and you're back down to feeling bad about yourself and then we come back and we get a, a sweep at home so it's kind of been that up and down the last um month and uh the question is going to be now that we had a high is how do we respond to that and can we go play two more good games or is it going to be another low and i think that's kind of the challenge this week is um, being able to feel good about yourself but keep that edge and keep that kind of chip that we had going into this weekend one player that stood out to coach was sam taylor a veteran a senior and how his play kind of exemplifies that of the team sam um has been and those seniors have been kind of the core of our team all year but I think Sam in particular this weekend great on Thursday and our team's great and then Saturday um, bad but tough and and gritty and um, at the end of the game when when we needed him makes big plays and I think uh, sometimes that's what it takes is not playing well and still finding ways to win Uh, I don't think you can consistently win that way but you can win some games by just kind of getting it done at the end, and that was what we needed on Saturday. 
Miles Howard, another veteran guy, really stood out to coach this week as well. You know, he's been a great defender for a long time. That's not anything new, but I, I think we're uh, partly out of necessity. We're coming up almost every game with a way of letting Miles be the most important player in the game. And that's easy when you play against a team that has a great player. Um, and that when we've played the best, it's been when we're able to take away a 20-point-a-game guy by putting Miles on him directly. It's a little bit harder in those games where they don't have one guy for him to just take away. Then it's kind of us up to us to come up with a way of, of allowing him to dominate the game defensively um, without him just guarding one player, but almost like having him be able to guard everybody and almost use him like a hockey goalie in some ways. And um, I thought that's what we kind of did on Saturdays. We just fed everything to him. And um, for him to be able to do that is obviously pretty special. But um, our other guys, I think, did a great job of kind of forcing the action at him. So both the Northern's wins this weekend came right down to the wire. This was a team that maybe struggled early on in the year closing out games, and ever since Michigan Tech, it seems like Northern knows how to put away tight games. It reminded me a little bit of the Tech game, where it felt like we were in control for most of the game, and then all of a sudden you look up and you're not in control anymore. And um, similar to Tech, I think we had the ability to kind of fold because we didn't play that well at the end and we lost a little bit of a lead. And um, for our guys to step up and make those plays, I, I think it gives them a confidence to know um, we're probably about 500 in close games now. Um, it's not like we've been great down the stretch, but at least now we're starting to go, okay, we can win down the stretch and we can step up and make those plays. And um, I think that's huge for a, I'm not necessarily a young team, but for a team that's trying to compete night in and night out and, and trying to kind of climb up to the middle or um, above that in the standings. I think having some confidence to know you can win close games is definitely needed, and so that, that was a good sign. It's a resilient group. It's a northern team that just does not quit or coach doesn't give them the option to quit, and they respond. Um, yeah, I think that's been probably the best part about our team all year, and I think that the credit really goes to those older kids who've been a part now of kind of the turnaround at Northern where um, they've had a lot of opportunities both within games and within the course of the season where they could have let some of the negatives um, ruin their season or ruin their game. And, and they've done a great job of whenever they've gotten in those moments, um, stepping up and playing even harder and finding an extra gear that um, I don't know if even they knew they had going into the year. Uh, to continue being successful, we're going to have we're going to have to have a lot more moments like that. And hopefully now we've matured to the point where we can have those tough, gritty moments coming off of wins or going when things are going well where we don't necessarily need that, that negative to fuel the positive. But hopefully the positive can just start fueling some more positive. Well, now Northern's on the road this weekend, and it's a place where they haven't been in a while. It's been a while since we've traveled. I mean, we started out the year going all over the place, Alaska, Minnesota, Illinois, and uh, we've been in the UP now since then. So um, it, it'll be a little bit different getting back on the road. I think one cool part about this weekend is uh, if you look at our roster, these are probably the two closest games to where most of our players are from. We have a lot of Illinois kids and a lot of Wisconsin kids, and so to get to play kind of around home is always kind of a fun deal for those guys. Um, both teams are well coached, produced, much improved. Um, Parkside's the defending champion on the North last year. Um, so we definitely are going to have our hands full with two good teams. But um, I'm just excited. We had our best practice of the year on Monday, um, which I thought was interesting just coming out of that weekend. Uh, I, you didn't know how we'd react, and I was happy that we had a great practice. Uh, but it's going to be kind of finding that edge and, and not allowing just one good weekend to 
kind of change the way we play defense, change the way we rebound. Because if we're going to have any chance in games, I think we now know that's where it's going to come from. So hopefully the road um, and playing in front of a lot of friends and family, hopefully that gives us a little, a little edge and maybe can lead to a little chip in, in some different ways for us. Northern's been shooting the ball really well lately. Coach was asked, how do you keep that going on the road? Yeah, well, we shot one road early in the year, and then and then we had the the berry shooting woes, whatever that means. And uh, I'm glad we kind of broke out of that. Um, I think shooting so much of shooting is just about confidence and confidence not only in yourself because you put in the work but having teammates that have confidence in you uh, having coaches that have confidence in you and the one thing I, I don't think from the start of the year on we've ever really wavered in our our overall confidence about our shooting um, we've had some tough nights and the message has kind of stayed just keep shooting as long as you put in the work and our guys have done to me a really good job of putting in the work um, and that needs to continue this week we need to keep getting in extra shots we need to keep shooting a lot in practice and um, at the end of the day uh, I don't want them to feel any pressure when they have a shot I want them to be this is a good shot we worked hard to get a good shot um, we're going to let it go and um, if it goes in 35% of the time we're a good shooting team and uh, overall that's that's happened for us and hopefully it just continues to happen because we've earned our confidence in it. Northern Michigan men's basketball coach Matt Mackerzak his team getting set to take a GLIAC road trip as they take on Purdue Northwest and Wisconsin Parkside. With that, we are out of time. I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, for Eastern 3 Central, and it's my hope you join me. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoops for ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.